Hello there, and welcome to the Unfuck Your Biz with Brayden podcast, a show to encourage and empower creative CEOs just like yourself through actionable legal, tax, and financial topics. I'm Brayden Drake, an author, lawyer, tax pro, and educator, but you can just call me Brayden, your gay best friend, here to help you unfuck that biz. If you're ready to dive in, grab a notebook, maybe some coffee, and buckle in to learn how you can implement solid strategies to build a profitable business. All righty, friends, welcome back to the podcast. Very excited because today I'm going to be chatting with you all about a, pod, uh, a podcast topic, a, a topic, a topic in general that I get asked about a lot that I know like just enough about to be a little bit dangerous, but not enough about to answer all the specific questions. So I brought my friend Joey Vitali, who's a trademark lawyer and owner of Indie Law, a trademark law firm to discuss. Joey, how's it going? I'm really excited to be here. Thanks for having me, Brayden. Okay, good. I'm excited. You're excited because before we hit record, I did tell Joey, I said, I don't know how excited you are because I'm going to be asking you a lot of questions. You've probably answered over and over and over again. Hey, that- I've, I've dug this hole for myself. I yeah. will say this though, for all of you who are listening, I'm going to ask you to do something that you've probably never been asked to do outright on a podcast before, which is this. If you've, by the end of this episode, if you've learned something that you didn't know before. If you've got some type of an action item or you just understand this legal stuff better than you did before, I want you to go onto iTunes and leave Braden a review on this podcast. <laughs> thank, thank you. I appreciate of that. Yes, yes. Well, that is one of our big goals this year is to expand the reach slash downloads of the podcast. Mm. So share with your friends, everybody, leave a review, do all the things. We talk um, about the fun stuff like trademarks. Yeah. And Joey, you also have a podcast too, right? We'll, we'll, we'll plug that in earnest at the end of the show, but what's the title of your podcast? Yeah. So in addition to being a trademark lawyer, I'm also a business growth strategist. Yeah. Um, and so my podcast is called the business growth advantage, and it's me interviewing amazing business experts from all different types of perspectives so that I work mostly with service-based business owners so they can grow and enjoy things like having one hour work weeks. Love it. Love me. I don't, a one hour might be ambitious, but I'm shooting, working towards like a, like a 20 hour work week. Nice. It'll be fun. All right, Joey. Um, we don't need to get super in depth into your background, but I think it's always helpful to know, like, where did you come from? How'd you get into trademark law? Yeah. Brayden, I don't know if, if you and I are the same on this, but I'm, uh, what is sometimes referred to in the lawyer world as a K through JD. So uh-huh. I went straight from kindergarten to law school, no breaks. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, and when I was in undergrad, uh, law school just seemed like the safe bet because I still didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. Yeah, I feel that. And then I, yep, yep. And then I went to law school, quickly realized that if you don't have a clear plan for what you want to do after law school, they tend to just default you into litigation courtroom work. Mm -hmm. I tried that for a few years, realized I'm not a very uh, high conflict kind of guy. Oh, it's terrible, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, some people love it and God love them for being there because it's an important thing that society needs. (laughs) No one wants me being their shark in the courtroom. It just doesn't work out. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, that, that's me. I'm like, how about we just like go to lunch and talk about this? Yeah. Can we all just get along? 
Yeah, I don't know if you had the same experience that I did, but it was always the like, you love to argue, you should go to law school. That like almost yes. became my justification for doing so. Turns out I love civil debate and I always enjoy mm. politics. That's very different yep. from sending cutthroat emails to opposing counsel. 100%. 100%. I think we're, yeah, I think we're on the same page there. Um, I loved law school. I never wanted to like scale a traditional law practice, which is, you know, how I got to where I am. Mm. Um, okay. Let's talk about, let's talk about some trademarks. First of all, many of you that are listening, you may already know the difference between trademark, copyright, patent, because you've pr- maybe heard me talk about them, but many of you may not know. And I think there's enough people in particular who get copyrights and trademarks confused that it's worthwhile to have you explain what the differences are. Yeah. So what's, I love trademarks because from really far away, they're confusing. And then the closer you get, they, they're easier to understand. And then when you get really up close, they're confusing again. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. I was about, you almost had me lost, but then with that last second, you got me again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like if, if you're brand new to this stuff, we're going to clarify things. And then you're like, oh, I, I kind of know it. And then we're going to go into exceptions and you're like, wait, I'm lost again. So just stick with us here because a really nice kind of zoomed out distinction between trademarks and copyrights is that copyrights protect your content, whereas trademarks protect your brand. I like to think about it as when, when you walk down like the cereal aisle version of your business industry, the trademarks are the packaging uh-huh. on things on the outside of the box, the things like your business name, logo, slogan, maybe the, the name of your podcast if you have one, but all of the, the actual content, the pictures that you're taking, the content on your website, the posts on your social media, that's all the stuff inside the cereal box. Right. That's the copyright. Yes. Okay. Love that. And Generally speaking, patents are like invention, like inventions, right? Like these kinds of things that we're not really, we're not talking, we're not talking about patents here. Okay. If you invent the next Dyson vacuum, both of us can, well, you can probably refer them to someone who bills at a very short, high amount to help them with their patent work. Yes. My, my go-to answer is you probably don't need a patent, but just in case, here's the name of someone who will talk to you for free to tell you that you don't need one. Yeah. Unless you're like investing in a lot of money into R&D, this patent's probably not something we need to worry about. Okay. Yes. So broadly speaking, trademarks are our packaging. And Joey, a question you've probably never been asked before. Why are trademarks important? Why, like, why do we care? Mm. So another thing that's just fascinating about trademarks is that most of the legal stuff that businesses do is meant to protect us as business owners. Mm-hmm. Like you get an LLC, you know, you, you protect your business assets. Braden can talk circles around me in terms of all these other things that you can do legally to protect your business. Trademarks are different because the, the priority with trademarks isn't to protect you. It's to protect consumers. Mm-hmm. So imagine if there was no rule and any tech company could call themselves Apple. Yeah, that's a problem. And then you didn't know who you were buying. You didn't, you didn't know the quality control and everything else. Um, when people ask me what a trademark is, I've learned to not give the legal definition. It's probably smart. <laughs> and so instead I say, uh, if I were to, uh, when I say the words Akuna Matata, what company do you think of? Disney. Yeah, 
That's a trademark at work right there. So that thought process, we lawyers call that source identification. The fact that you observed something, heard it, saw it, whatever, and, and thought of a brand in particular, that's the sign of a trademark. Yeah. And our government and the trademark office, we, they do what they can to keep the number of registered trademarks to a minimum so that consumers don't get confused and think of multiple different companies when they hear something. Yeah, with the example of Akuna Matata, like my mind immediately went to like cultural appropriation and trademarks. I won't make I won't make you go there for this episode. Oh, geez. feel like a good feel like a good bonus episode, right? But I was just thinking. So I was in Target the other day with my mom. She needed mm -hmm. some. She came here. So Joey, I don't think I told you this, but my husband got sworn in last week as a judge here in San Diego County. Oh, congrats! Very, very exciting. And my mom flew in for the swearing in ceremony. She was not happy mm. with the shoes that she brought. She's like last minute packing. So we had sure. to go to Target. And Target has those for lack of a better term. I call them knockoff Birkenstocks, right? It's just mm. cork bottom, two straps. You get the picture. Yep. And there's intellectual property discussions to be had there about, you know, designer things that make their way into forever 21 whatever but obviously it's fine or target would not be selling them but if they you know all of a sudden slapped birkenstock on the box now we're going to have a problem because i would i would buy those shoes expecting them to last me eight years yes. and my assumption would be that those 40 dollars share shoes probably are not made of the same quality whether that's an accurate yes. assumption i don't know but yes. that's how i think about trademarks exactly um and uh Another just similar example that we're starting to see is um, people getting Facebook ads from companies that sound like companies that they've bought from in the past. So they sign up for something thinking it's the same company or thinking that maybe it's endorsed by or, or working with an, or in yeah. collaboration with the other company. I was just thinking the other day, Joey, so I have a Peloton. Do you, are you a Peloton person? I'm not. Okay, that's okay. I'm probably going to sell mine. Anyway, okay. if wants to buy my Peloton, let me know. But I'm in the Peloton Facebook group. And I would say at least 50% of the people that post in there, this is not an exaggeration because it's become like a thing. About 50% of the people in there spell Peloton incorrectly. Like if you mm. all don't know, it's spelled Peloton, like L-O. People always spell it L-E. And as an attorney, I'm always thinking, man, this is like, right? <laughs> this is like ripe for some people selling fraudulent Peloton with an, with an LE oh uh, kind of stuff. And I'm sure that's probably what you're seeing in these Facebook ads, I would imagine. Yeah. Or, um, you know, again, it, it's a, the Facebook ads right now is a place where the types of business owners that you and I work with, Brayden, are, are seeing trademark issues or, or the need to send cease and desist letters because people who are in their audience or people who have bought from them before are, are messaging business owners saying, Hey, is this you? Yeah. yeah. Like, is this your stuff? Cause it, the name looks similar, but the branding's off or like it's someone else's picture. Yikes. Yeah. That's, that's big yikes. Okay. So we've talked a little bit about what trademarks are. If I'm coming to you and I'm saying, you know what, like I'm not having any of these problems. So you're talking about these problems. I'm not having any of these problems. Like we could probably put the word yet in some brackets there, but mm. like, why do I need to file that? Like, why do, yeah. why do I need a trademark? And also like, you probably, this would be a good time to talk about what a trademark registration actually is. Yeah. So really good questions. We'll zoom back a little bit further again. So a lot of people come to me thinking, well, I already have a 
fill in the blank. Do I really need a trademark? Whether it's an LLC or a domain name, all of those things are good. <laughs> but they don't the give you trademark no. naming rights. And then in terms of like, why should I do this now or, or, or soon is because if, if you don't go through this process, there's a good chance that you're accidentally infringing someone right now and you don't realize it. Mm-hmm. Uh, business owners and lawyers alike often talk about the importance of protecting your brand, calling dibs legally. We'll, we'll talk more about what registering your, your trademark means. All of that is important, but that's, that is a concern that jumps the gun because before we get so caught up in protecting what's ours, we need to make sure and do our due diligence that what we have isn't currently stepping on the toes of another brand by accident. And that's happening more and more. Okay. Okay. So a hypothetical, like I come up with this great business name idea, like ready to party, bought my domain name, going to hire my brand designer. At which point do you initiate the trademark process? Like, is it before you invest the money in hiring a designer or after, what does that look like? Well, there, it partially depends on your goals and vision for your company. I say that because it's, I'm, I've learned to really be a lawyer from a place of being a pragmatist first. Mm-hmm. And if at the end of the day, if someone sends you a cease and desist letter, if your business will kind of be and stay in a place where you're not going to have the funds to fight that, and it can be relatively easy for you to just change things, then maybe you don't need to make this a priority, but, and this is a big but, like this stuff catches you by surprise. And usually business owners think when they're starting, oh, I don't need trademarks. Yeah. Then months or years go by of growth and they're not in a place anymore where they can rebrand really easily in 90 days. Yeah, okay. I'm glad to hear you say that because it's often, that's often the advice I give people as I tell them, if you were to get a letter tomorrow saying that you needed to change your business name, are you going to lose sleep over that? I mean, it's going to be stressful regardless, but how quickly can you pivot? You can pivot pretty quickly, not a huge deal, but then keeping in mind that you're going to grow and that's going to become a more and more difficult proposition. And at some point you have to decide, all right, now. now Yeah. And it's the, the trademark process, one of the attorneys on my team loves to say this, and it's such a great way of saying it. Um, getting your trademarks protected and registered. And again, in a little bit, we'll, we'll describe more what that means. It's very different than getting an LLC or getting a domain name. It's mm-hmm. not like, oh, you file this paperwork and it's yours. When you start taking action towards protecting your brand, it's more like you're you're doing an audition. When, you, when you're submitting this paperwork, it's like you're saying, hey, I, I believe that I should own this. Here's a reason wh- reasons why. Can you please give me some type of certificate or, or evidence of ownership so that if I'm ever in a dispute with other brands, I have really clear evidence that shows that I'm, I'm the rightful owner of all of this. Yeah, so we'll discuss a little bit about the trademark process. We'll circle back to that. But when we're talking about, you know, asking, you're auditioning, you're trying to get that certificate. What does the certificate convey other than the fact that it's a piece of paper? Like, what does that give you? So another thing that's 
that's cool but weird about trademarks is that there are different layers of trademark rights here in the United States. And to, to oversimplify what that means, there's this first layer of automatic, what are called common law trademark rights that you get just by being in business. So you don't have to pay any money. You don't have to file any paperwork. And just by being in business, you own those trademarks as long as you were the first person to do it. The, the problem is that those automatic common law rights only extend to your geographic region. So bigger than a city, much smaller than a state. And it was fine for corner bakeries and stuff decades ago to rely on those types of common law rights. But nowadays with the internet being what it is and everybody being an, a national, if not international brand, it's, it's not worth being able to just rely on those. And so really what businesses want and need is kind of an electric fence at a national level saying, I own this across the United States and no one else can have it or anything similar because I don't want my customers being confused. And when you apply for a, a trademark registration and then you get that registration certificate, which unlocks your ability to use that circle R symbol, that is proof of ownership that you have it registered that you have those register, registration rights. It's almost like, um, I sometimes call a, a trademark certificate, a birth certificate for your brand. Mm -hmm. Cause it's like your brand was already born. The fact that you were the first to use it in interstate commerce means that you're the true rights holder, but you don't have really easy, clear proof of ownership without that registration. And doesn't, I mean, I feel like, doesn't that just make it a lot easier to then enforce your rights? Because without the certificate, you tell other people like, hey, this is my trademark back off. And they're like, all right, well, where's the proof once you get your One, certificate? 100%, 100%. Uh, and the, the, the tough thing that's getting tougher for business owners is that right now over half a million applications are getting filed every year. I filed one two months, two months ago. Nice. I to get my results in a year from now. God only knows. Yeah. Um, ever since COVID started, unfortunately, the timeline has gotten even longer. So what used to be a timeline of six to 12 months is now turning into to 12 to 18 or 24 yeah. months. Yeah. Yeah. I got my trademark for unfuck your biz cleared in I think about seven or eight months, not expecting mm -hmm. for the new one to go, to go quite, quite that quickly. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. Okay. So we know why we want a trademark to me. It like it, in, it enhances your ability to be, say like, get off my lawn, right? Like shake your fist at somebody, get out of here. Um, so that's really pretty cool. Isn't there, um, does trademark registration also help with like the attorney fees collection or is that just copyrights? Am I confusing those two? Um, there, there is a, a piece to that. And, and I will say for most small business owners, that doesn't, that rarely becomes a piece that is actualized. Yeah. Um, I just find I like as to a, think about it, yeah, as a negotiator, I tell people it's a, it's a negotiation tactic. So it's not ever that you're going to actually sue the person or collect those fees. Um, but for example, I had a client one time who essentially was getting stiffed by someone who hired her as a contractor. And so this person was like, no, we're not going to pay you. And I told the other attorney, well, you know what? I looked into this and I really think my client probably should have been an employee under California state law. 
Um, mm. So I might need to refer her to an employment attorney. <laughs> and uh, real quickly, they said, "How much? How much money did you? How much money did you want?" Because um, that's very mm. scary, right? With the attorney fees, like for copyright, like for copyright infringement, it's more of, "Hey, by the way, this is registered." Just to let you know, if I have to talk to an attorney, you're going to have to, you know, pay out this claim plus the attorney fees. So yeah. I don't know. I just always wonder with trademark if that's like a valuable bargaining chip. It can be. The other thing that makes this very helpful is uh, not only can you reach out to you know the other business owner, the other parties when there's a dispute, a lot of times there's also an option of reaching out to the platform where the, the abuse, mm -hmm. the infringement is happening. And it doesn't even have to be uh, like a really contested type of an issue. So for example, uh, very recently, Indie Law decided that we wanted to have an Instagram account for the law firm. And so we looked into it and someone else, else already had Indie Law. They hadn't posted in several yeah. months. It seemed like nothing was happening, but because we have the registration on it, we filed a report with Instagram, showed that we own the, the registration and within hours, we got it. Nice. So can you do that for your name or would you have to have your name trademarked? Because I've been trying to get my hands on the Braden Drake Instagram handle for ages and some like 11 year old has it. He mm. hasn't posted in like eight years. So he's presumably 19 at this point. <laughs> at this point, You can. And this is where it gets tricky too, because you can get a, a federally registered trademark for just about anything. You just have to make sure that you're actually using that, that word, phrase, logo, whatever, as a trademark. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and so you just want to make sure that when you're showing proof of use to the trademark office, that your name is actually being used as a brand identifier for the business in a really prominent way. And does something like bradendrake.com suffice for that? You mean the domain name? Yeah. Not by itself. No. Where I'm selling, like that's where I'm selling all of my goods, so to speak. No, the the trademark office won't look to the domain name itself. They mm -hmm. want to see your name prominently displayed across the website, for example. Got it. As a brand identifier. Yeah, because I have like technically I have a logo for my name that's on the website. Um, and don't worry, don't worry, everyone listening. This isn't just a personal consultation. This is analogous for many of you because many <laughs> of you, many of you have your businesses named after yourselves. So let's, let's talk about that a little bit in particular, I have a lot of wedding folks. So let's say I'm a photographer. Is there a difference between Drake photography or Braden Drake photography? Can both of those be trademarked or one of them? Good question. Unfortunately, I have to give the lawyer answer of it depends here. Sure. But I will say that, again, trademarks are weird and interesting. And one of the reasons is because they're not like domain names. And when you get protections, especially as a registered trademark, you get expansive rights, not just to your name, but to anything that's confusingly similar to it. And the trademark office has what they call this likelihood of confusion rule, where if the, the trademark that you want is not the same, but potentially confusingly similar to another brand, they'll refuse it. Just some quick stats, over half of the trademark applications that get filed get rejected. 
And by far the biggest reason for denials is this likelihood of confusion issue. Okay. So an example for that would be my middle name. My middle name is Adam, which is actually what I went by before I moved to California. Mm. Fun fact for everyone, arguably a much more common name than Brayden. Brayden's beginning, beginning to be a lot more popular with younger kids. But then I would assume that like Adam Drake would be harder to trademark, assuming that there's more people with similar names that are marked, right? Is that, am I correct on that? If my all my assumptions are correct otherwise on the commonality of the name? Yeah, I mean, the, the, I will say that, especially in the wedding space, it's becoming more popular for business owners to be applying for their names to be registered. Uh-huh. It's still definitely not a norm. So- what would likely be the case if you search really your name at all is there's probably not going to be much that comes up, but you do want to search for just the last name, you know, look in the context of photography. Cause if they're a law firm, but they've got a similar last name, that won't be an issue because you're in two different fields. Yeah. Drake law is already taken. Of course mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I've looked, I've looked at that one. Okay. Well, let me ask you this then. So we, I would assume that the more common your name is, the more likely there would be that there's a conflict. Although if you have a niche, probably open, because you're saying a lot, a lot of people have filed this. But then I also would assume that the more common your name is, the more important it would be for you to get a trademark, because then there might be more people coming on the market with that name. Would you agree yeah. with that? Yeah, I will say that I'm starting... I agree with all of that. And I'm starting to see some trends where brands are starting to shift away from just being a personal brand. Uh And I'm a huge fan of that for a number of reasons. One of which is it allows you, if you ever wanted to, to actually like sell your business. Right. Um, Or if you ever start building a team, one of the reasons why we decided to go with indie law was because we wanted to create the future of the law firm to a place where we would have people who would sign up for the firm and and never talk to me when they sign up. Um, And we can talk about why that is, um, but it's it's important for me with our law firm for it not to depend on me for our clients to be really well taken care of. Well, I think people inherently get that, right? Because I talk to my students all the time who have, you know, maybe they're web designers, maybe they are wedding planners and they want to mm-hmm. start hiring associates, but their concern is always, well, my client's hiring me because my name's on the business. Right. You know, are they going to trust that this person's going to do a great job? Yeah. And, and so you- we're, we're, we're starting to see more brands kind of shift to a, you know, here is the name of our company with our name to adding a, a slogan to eventually a part of that slogan is incorporated into the business name itself. Nice. Okay, cool. Yeah. So I launched a program recently called Profit RX, trademark pending. Mm. I did my own search. I think I'm okay. I don't, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what the trademark office has to say. But eventually that could become, you know, like the name of the business. Like you take Braden. Nice. Name, that could become Smart. the name of the business. Actually, before a lot of people think my business name is Unfuck Your Biz because that's the name of the podcast and was the mm. name of my course. It wasn't technically, but that could become the name of my business as well. A lot yeah. of people are always surprised when they find out I have that trademark. So they seem to think it's like a very competitive one, but no, and that one went through. That one that's went awesome. through pretty. No, that's pretty, great. Pretty easily. Okay, so one thing we chatted a little bit about before. 
Um, we hit record and I think we were going in this direction too. You mentioned people are starting to file more marks without their name. As I see this issue as a non-expert in trademark, but someone who knows a little bit about it, in the wedding industry in particular, there are a lot of names that are just kind of the same. They're very similar. Mm -hmm. It's like insert adjective, the word events, right? And there's a lot of overlap. Is this, um, so let's talk about like good things about that because maybe it's, you know, good for consumer identification, but maybe that's bad for trademark purposes. What are your thoughts? I think the, the cons outweigh the pros here. Okay. Um, I, I think that, cause we're seeing this across the board and there, there's a specific way that this can look in the wedding industry, but even in like the business coachy space, there's a lot of like the lit up whatever or level up whatever or yeah. inner circle masterminds and like accelerator incubator yes. like all of these words yeah and and those aren't bad but they are usually chosen from a mindset of safety and survival like, yeah. let me go with a word that I think will attract people because the word is attractive, not because I'm doing the work of building a brand reputation around what this means, or I'm kind of taking a, a slanting kind of a different direction. And I'm saying that my business stands for something that's unique in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. And in the trademark world, there's, there's actually a spectrum around this concept of uh, how distinctive is your brand? Yeah. And on the one side of the spectrum, you've got the, the made up words like Kodak. And on the other side of the spectrum, you've got the super, super generic words. And the more generic or descriptive the, the name is, the, the weaker your rights are. And, and this is important, this isn't really legal. This is just business strategy. The more generic and descriptive your business, your, your name is, even if you get the registered trademark, it's an uphill battle and is a headache to defend because yeah. there will be a ton of copycats accidentally who pop up and you have a duty to enforce your rights against them and be a bully or else you lose your trademark rights. Yeah, the, I see the issue with that though is, is that the reason people like to choose these generic names is because they're the easiest to market, right? Because it like very clearly identifies what it is that you're selling. Like people can read your name and they know what it is. Yeah. Whereas like Kodak and Xerox, you have to become familiar with that brand in order to know what the name means. Yeah, it is a, um, if you're, I, I want to choose my words carefully here. <laughs> uh, and, and, and I know that you understand this, this Brayden, but if you are, most businesses that I work with that I figure out, you know, what, what's the strategy of the growth plan? Yeah. Either there, there's a sense of, we are an affordable brand, and we price things so that people are like, oh, that's a good value when I work with them. That's sure. more of like a commodity-based business concept. It's those types of businesses that tend to be attracted to these kinds of sexy names. Then there are the ones who are like, no, we, not everyone's a good fit for us. We, we charge more and there's a reason for that. We've got a signature process or whatever. Those are the ones that tend to be more willing to go with a name that isn't as on the head descriptive because they know that they can do the work of building up what that means with their audience. And 
I know that you and I are both a part of the community. So I'll just say this, like rising tide society is such a good example of this. Uh huh. Like you can connect the dots once you learn what it means, but it's not like when you first see it, you know what the, what the brand is about. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, well, I guess you probably wouldn't consider that a suggestive trademark in the technical sense. I don't know. Um, yeah, I would. Oh, okay. Good, good. So yeah, when I'm, when I'm like self-studying trademarks, you were talking about this earlier, the suggestive ones are the ones I have the hardest time with. I have a hard time identifying like what's generic versus suggestive and then arbitrary and fanciful is what they call them. What's interesting is, and this is where you have to watch yourself as a business owner. There are so many layers to trademarks that are interesting (laughs) and to agree they're important, but they don't really affect the decisions that you have to make as a business owner. Yeah. The, The trademark office doesn't categorize every single trademark as fanciful, arbitrary, subject. like it doesn't really matter where you fall on that spectrum. It's just, if you're descriptive or generic, you're going to have extra hurdles to cross. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. Okay. What do you see? So likelihood of confusion, you said is the most common reason that people get denied. And this is just going to be a leading question. So I'll just, I'll just ask you a leading question. Is that because most of these people are not doing an adequate job with their trademark search beforehand? Or do you think that would, they would still, you know, be getting denied pretty often, even if they did a robust search? I think it's both. Okay. I think it's both. I think that, um, when you, as you know, it's possible to apply for a trademark without hiring an attorney to do so as long as your your company is based in the United States. Um, when you look at the number of trademark applications that are filed with an attorney's help, uh, that number goes way down in terms of the how many get rejected. Yeah. So I, I there there are definitely people who are just kind of filing the stuff blindly. Uh, if you if you're not aware, there is a, a free trademark database that you can go to run searches for um, the the problem, even with people who know that that search database exists, is they think about it too literally. So they mm-hmm. just search for the name that they want. And if nothing shows up, they think they're okay. Instead of thinking about that likelihood of confusion concern and looking for, okay, what if I just use this part of the word? Or what if I add an S at the end or some other things? Uh, but the truth is that when, when people work with us, all of our clients, we run a comprehensive search for. We don't make an exception for any of our clients. We have to run that search. Um, and what we do, because it can be very hard to give someone a, like, here's the percentage of success we think you have, we've created a weather report. So based on our search, where we look at availability, likelihood of confusion concerns, and some other issues as well, we'll put you on uh, some type of weather report spectrum of either mostly sunny partly cloudy, you know, there's going to be some storm watches ahead or like a big tornado warning. And we absolutely don't recommend that you move forward. And most of the time it's somewhere in the middle where we say, look, there are some risks here based on the filings that we've done in the past. And we've filed over 500 trademarks. We think there's a good chance that you'll get it. You'll get it. And even if you, even if we do run into some issues, we still think that it's worth moving forward now because if there's a chance you can get it, let's go ahead and do it. And, and this is really important to clarify with your audience, Brayden. If you get your trademark rejected, if the trademark office says we're, we're 
not going to give you the registration. That does not mean you're doing anything illegal. No one's coming after you. They don't automatically notify the, you know, the similarly named brand. So it's definitely not the end of the world if you receive a, a response saying that you can't get it because it's too similar to another brand. Gotcha. Yeah, I'm curious, can we talk a little bit about what actually creates likelihood of confusion? Because I think a lot of people take it very literally. And just to give everyone an example, like I just looked as you were chatting, I opened up like our course uh, textbook and I did a search for unfuck your biz when I was talking about trademarks, just to see. And there's actually, there was already a registered trademark for unfuck your business when I got mine approved. There was one Mm -hmm. for uh, unfuck your finances, uh, your brain, America, interesting, wonder what that business is, and your SEO. But my mark still went through because apparently they didn't deem it to be too confusingly similar. How is that possible? So there's a few things going on. Number one, you have to look at not just the trademark, but also the description of the services or products that are being sold. And so it's it's one thing if the names are, 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 are similar, but if they sell totally completely different things, that's okay. The other thing is there are thousands of different reviewing attorneys at the trademark office. They all have a slightly different understanding of what this means. They don't always get this right. Sometimes we have clients and we are totally shocked by the trademark office's reasoning in in terms of thinking that two brands are confused. Sometimes we just think the gods are in your favor. We thought they would definitely think that there was going to be confusion there, but they didn't say anything. The, The third thing that I'll say here is just to give another example. This is one of my favorite examples to give in terms of likelihood of confusion. So you probably are familiar with the company Blue Apron. Uh huh. So if you don't know, it's this food subscription box service and it was one of the first to the market. So they own the registered trademark for Blue Apron. There was another company that was also in kind of like the food delivery space that applied for Green Apron, totally different color. They didn't get it. And the trademark office said, you know, we think there's, there's a likelihood of confusion here. And if you put yourself in the mindset of a customer, this makes sense, right? Because if you're a Blue Apron customer, you could think, oh, is this Green Apron? Is this like their all veggies box? Is this their environmentally friendly packaged version of what they're doing? Uh-huh. There could be confusion there, even though it's obviously not the exact same name. Yeah, if I were Blue Apron, I would not want that. That actually just reminded me of... Uh, my mom and I went to this grilled cheese place in San Diego the other day. Random story. It's relevant. Um, but it's called the Greater Grilled Cheese, spelled G-A-R-T-E-R, Greater Grilled Cheese. And they opened a store literally right next to it called Greater Salads, spelled the same way, right? <laughs> so yeah. I'm going to assume like, oh, this is the same owner. And rather right. than expand their menu, they just opened a new store. Um, if that were not the same owner, I would think that the first owner would probably want to sue them. <laughs> right, exactly. That, that's a really, really good example too. And th- there's one more point to this blue apron, green apron point that I just want to emphasize, which is that the company that tried to get green apron was Starbucks. 
And do you think, I'm sure Starbucks has a huge legal team. So they probably, I feel like they would know better, but they, they must've thought that they were going to be able to get the trademark. It's all about it. risk mitigation. So even yeah. if they thought that there was a risk, maybe this was them just saying, Hey, maybe we can get it. Let's see. But it, I love this example because it shows that even big brands can't get around the trademark office and they couldn't, they couldn't just pay a lot of money to overcome these concerns. Were they trying to file that also for like meal subscription box or yeah. was it something totally different? It seemed like it was kind of like a food delivery something. Um, oh, that seems really shady to me. <laughs> a, a, another interesting, I know, another interesting kind of wrinkle to how trademarks work is uh, LeBron James tried to get a registered trademark for Taco Tuesday. And the trademark <laughs> office said, uh, not only can we not give this to you, but we can't give this to anyone because Taco Tuesday has become such like a catch-off phrase yeah. that when consumers think of it, they don't think of any particular brand just because it's such a common saying. Yeah. And but, like, would that be so just hypothetical? Like that would be different if Taco Tuesday were a term coined like by Taco Bell 10 years ago and like everyone went to Taco Bell yes, on Tuesdays. Yes, 100%. Or if you wanted to rename the name of your law firm, Taco Tuesday Law Firm, like it's a totally different context. Yeah. Um, like the same way that Apple can use Apple because they're reappropriating what fruit means now to technology company. But what's, what's really interesting there is that LeBron James attorneys got interviewed after the application got denied. And they said, we're actually really happy with the decision. We filed it not thinking we would get it. We just don't want anyone else to get it. So now LeBron knows that he can talk about Taco Tuesday and he won't be in jeopardy of receiving a cease and desist letter. Interesting. Why is this off topic question? Why is LeBron James talking about Taco Tuesday to begin with? I'm missing Apparently something. it was like a big social media thing where like he and his family would always like it would be a big okay. thing that, like just he personally would do with his brand interesting okay um so i was curious let me let me know if this would be worthwhile i actually have the description for the unfuck your business trademark okay i'm gonna read it to you okay. um so this is a question that any attorney hates but i'm gonna ask you anyway and then you can you know answer how you want to answer is if i came to you hypothetical if i came to you and i said hey i already did a search I found this trademark for unfuck your business. So not biz, but business. They are filed under class 35. Uh, and all their description says is, uh, it says US 100, 101, 102. I don't know what that means after the class. So it says- These I are all good questions, Brayden. But honestly, I would stop you right now and say, you're bringing to my attention one trademark that you found. Uh-huh. Usually we find dozens of similar trademarks in our search. So the fact that you only have one that's of concern means that we should probably do some deeper digging. Okay. Got it. Got it. Got it. Deeper. So, digging. but I, I just want to give like, cause if, if you and I were together, that's the first thing I would say is like, we should do a deeper audit because if I don't want me to answer those questions, have you think that you're okay? And then when we do some deeper digging, we find other problematic trademarks that you didn't even know existed. Yeah. So my question for that was going to be like, what would you classify that on the weather report? Like partly cloudy with a lot more research needed? Uh, it depends on what you, it depends on currently what your business does and what you're willing to uh, narrow down with your, your company. So 
we, when we are doing our, our, first we run a search, then we put together this report. And people will sometimes say, uh, what should I put in the description of my own trademark application? Yeah. Or what, what class or classes should I include in my application? Because you have to choose one or more of 45 different classes to select for your trademark. Mm -hmm. And what we typically say is, we want your application to be as broad as possible. And we want to look and see what's similar because whatever is similar that we see out there, we then want to make yours narrow and different. Got it. So where you would land on that weather report would come after we would have a conversation of, okay, when you read that, how, how similar is that to the broad version that we wanted for, for your business? And what are you willing to kind of narrow, narrow or, or how can we describe what you're doing that's, that's more obviously very different and distinct than what they say they're doing? And then we can say, okay, how is that more kind of niche down, distinguished version of your application different from that one? Okay. Yeah, I know. I mean, I know the description is like very crucial. Um, yeah. What I'm kind of getting at here though is... Uh, I just want people to have a general idea if they're doing a search and they're like, oh, this is maybe a problem. They don't, they don't probably really know. <laughs> they don't really know. So this is yes. where like, basically the question is like, if someone's going to do their own search, like what would be your guidance to then determine like, is it worthwhile for me to go talk to indie law about whether I should take the next step? I, I mean, we offer free calls, so there's no point in no. not reaching out to us. Yeah. Um, the, the other thing is, and this is a, a point that makes sense and it's kind of obvious, but it's very easy to forget about, which is that these, the searches that you run have an immediate expiration date. Mm -hmm. So you could run this search today, think you're okay. And then decide that you're going to file months from now. And between that time, someone else files for a trademark. That's the exact same or very similar as yours. Yeah. So we operate on a pretty quick timeline with all of our new clients. Our goal is to get the application submitted within two weeks so that we minimize that risk from happening. Because unfortunately, we've seen it happen several times. Okay, good to know. Good to know. Okay, so we're going to start to wrap up here. Any like key topic areas we don't feel like we covered or any last minute bits of advice you want to give? Um. There, there's one point to this that I think that now that you've gotten a better understanding of trademarks, uh, this can be a secret weapon for you as a business owner. And it's called an intent to use trademark application. So there are two ways of applying for a, a registered trademark. One is literally called 1A in terms of the filing basis. And that's, that's where you are actually using that trademark in commerce currently. That's the way more popular way of filing, but there's also a way uh, of doing it before you launch called an intent to use or 1B application. And now that you're more familiar with all of this stuff, that is a really great filing basis. If you have a really good name or slogan and you think you're okay, but before you commit to it and, and launch publicly, you wanna get some paperwork in place. Okay. Good, good to know uh, before you make like real big investments and things. So mm -hmm. we will put your contact information in the show notes. We'll have it everywhere. If anyone is interested in getting their trademark started, 
they should contact Indy Law for sure. Um, Joey, are you ready for the final question? Let's do it. Okay. So my Facebook group is called Braden's Besties. If anyone's listening and they're not a member, they should go join. If someone wants to become one of Joey's besties, what's the best way for them to do that? No, uh, we actually just launched a Facebook group called the Business Growth Advantage. Nice. So if you want to join there, we'd love to have you. Okay. And then podcast one more time. It's also called the Business Growth Advantage. Okay, beautiful. Obviously, if you're still listening to us chat, you are a podcast listener. So go check it out. Um, Joey, thank you so much for coming on. I know this was very educational, fun, and informative for my audience. And I appreciate you sharing all of your wisdom. Thanks, Braden. Thanks for having me. Hey there. Before you go, I wanted to give a quick thanks. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. If you loved it, I would love for you to take a screenshot of the episode or snap a quick selfie while you are listening. Share it on social and give me a tag. It'll help other kick-ass entrepreneurs like yourself find the show. That's it for today. I'll be back soon with a new episode. Meanwhile, let's roll up our sleeves and unfuck that biz.